they were in bad shape. And so when God calls somebody to come and, and give His message in that situation, what they're saying is, if you don't turn around, you're going to die. And, and God told Jeremiah not to even get married, not to have children because this society was so wicked. And he says, let me tell you what's going to happen to this society. It would be better that children not be born than to be born into this society. And so Jeremiah starts proclaiming this message. You are terrible. You're horrible. God's going to judge you. Every one of you is going to bust hell wide open. How do you think that message was received? Because you start reading through and, and it would say, go shout in the streets. I mean, God would tell Jeremiah to go shout in the streets. So homeboys walking around, hey, you're going to die, you wicked sinners. And so they didn't respond very well at all. And the kings got mad at him and they would throw him. One time he's put into stocks. One time he's thrown into a pit. And so he's down there and he's just having all kinds of rain and, and stuff happening to him. People throwing things in there. People casting insults at him. And so Jeremiah, you get to chapter 20 and Jeremiah is not just having a bad day. It's not a bad hair day. It's a bad life. And he says to God, he said, God, you deceived me. You told me I was going to do this and, and it's too hard and, and I can't. And he says, even if I try to keep my mouth shut, your message is like this fire in my bones. And he said, doggone God, why am I alive? I, I hate being here. He says, cursed is, the, cursed is the day that I was born. He said, cursed is the one who said to my father, you're having a son. May he be cursed forever because I do not like living. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Um, if we're honest, and, and after reading a lot of your questions, I think a lot of you have questioned your existence. Why am I here? What is the purpose of me even drawing breath? If you've ever had any suicidal thoughts, you understand fully, why am I here? And, and here's, the, here's the basic thing. We're going to talk about this the rest of the day, but the basic thing is, when you start questioning your existence, it ought to be this red flag going up that says your focus is wrong. Your focus will determine your feelings. Watch this video, and this kind of gives you a preview of what we're doing the rest of the day. Western parts of Cole County, out towards say, the Russellville area, and west from the capital city. Notice that thunderstorm. Here goes Rumble. Down to our south, moving towards Suscumbia, there's another line there. This is your one hundred thousand dollars. It brings her to the same point that it brings you. It doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. They get from the age of the age of the age Today she has turned her millions of adoring fans over to New Age Doctor. And I'm reading books such as Tully's. It's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality that doesn't always align with the teaching of Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how do you reconcile these Pharisees with your Christian beliefs?
a lot of times we get our focus wrong and it messes up our feelings. And um, the world has all kinds of advice for you. Um, I don't know if you've looked around at how many self-help books are out there nowadays, but there's this, this huge avalanche of self-help books every year. Now, I don't know if this is still true, but a few years ago, there were 2,000 self-help books per year coming onto the market. And there's still so many that, that um, you know, it's still big business because I went on just this week, I just decided to Google self-help books. And one of the first things it took me to was Amazon. And, and that makes sense. If you're going to find self-help books, you need to go to Amazon. And uh, what I came to was the guide to self-help books. Okay, not only do we need self-help books, we need a guide to help us find the self-help books. And, and I'm really not making this up. There are numerous categories on this guide. You, you buy the guide or you go, you know, you, you look through the guide on, on this website. And here are the categories. Mental health concerns, challenges in living, personal growth, and saving the earth. These are the major categories across the page. And then under each of those major categories, there are subcategories. Under the first one, I think there were 14 subcategories. Under saving the earth, there's 29 categories, subcategories of, of uh, self-help books. And uh, why do we need this? Well, it's because we don't have a stinking clue how to live. And here's what the guide says. It says this about itself. Um, use this time-saving guide to find the very best in self-help books. The guide lists proven self-help manuals, inspiring self-help books, moving real-life memoirs, and prize-winning novels, all chosen for their expert advice and practical wisdom. These, this is my favorite line of the whole website, these are the best of the best. Homeboy is pretty, pretty uh, confident about his selections of self-help books for you and me, right? The best of the best. Well, <laughs> the reason this is such big business is because humans are making up why we're here and just hoping for the best. Uh, we're looking for someone to tell us, and so we'll, we'll spend money. But every resource that I've come across, every one of them that I've personally read and skimmed through and, and looked at, says something like this. Um, we, will, we will help you, for a modest fee, discover your purpose in life. But basically, everyone says this. Look deep into your own soul or your own heart and you'll discover the meaning of life. If that were true, you'd know it. Because most of us here have looked deep within and, and we're not real happy with what we've found. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't jive with this thing that you're on your own to discover your purpose in life. And, and just think through this. This, this is my... Um, thought sequence, and maybe you can resonate with this. Um, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a plumbing expert. Jeff has told you that for months since we've been in this building. But neither am I a car expert. And, and let me tell you why this is relevant. Um, two times in the last six weeks, my Honda Civic, my 1997 Honda Civic, has died while my wife has been driving it. One time I happened to be right behind her and she only had enough power to get in the center, the left turn lane on the loop, which is a bad thing right in front of Walgreens. That's where we were. And uh, luckily I was behind her. We were able to push it out. Wes and I had to go and tow that one home. That was fun too. 
Um, but that's a story for another day. Uh, and then it, it died again when she was at the Donut Palace with my children. It wouldn't get started. And then luckily, after so much time, we were able to, it, it had cooled off and it would start. And man, I didn't know how long I had, so I just started up and flew out of the, the, the parking lot and drove it home. Janie didn't know what I was doing, and, and that, that was comical. And that's a story for another day as well. Um, but I go home. I'm able to get it home. And so when we first open it up, now I know, I know just a little bit. I've changed spark plugs. I've changed oil. I've changed, you know, the, the air filter. But when you lift up the hood to a car and that's all you know, and you're trying to figure out why does it die? Why is there, you know, this code coming on? And, and I did go to AutoZone and I got the code. And, and the code said uh, catalytic converter. And I'm like, that's so helpful. And so... Um, we're, we're just start messing with stuff. And so my, my Honda Civic now has a new, uh, new spark plugs, new spark plug wires, has, um, a new distributor cap. The, uh, the, co- the ignition coil has a new one of those. And, and we, we got through some things there. And then the, then the, um, check engine light came on. And so I went and got the code. Well, somewhere in the midst of all this, I realized I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So you know what I did? I didn't pay anybody to do it. That would be too easy. I, I went and got um, an owner's manual, and I started reading. And so it's sitting on my little table, you know, where all of my books, my Bible, and all the stuff I'm reading is right there. Well, my Honda Civic owner's manual is there. And it's amazing what you can learn from, from you know, because I, I didn't have a hotline where I could call Mr. Honda and say, what is it that's wrong with my car? So they've printed these these very helpful owner's manuals that even have troubleshooting guides in the back. If you're smelling... I like this. If you're smelling rotten egg odor, look for this. If you're smelling this odor, I thought, this is so helpful to have an owner's manual. So I've learned so much. I'm not an expert, but I've learned a lot about... So after that, then we had to take off the exhaust manifold. We've now replaced the exhaust manifold, the catalytic converter, both oxygen sensors. I didn't know there were two oxygen sensors until we consulted the owner's manual. And so it's still not fixed, but, but the point is I know a lot more about my car. Now, if you want to know why something exists, you've got two options. You can either talk to the owner or the creator, not the owner. In my case, I don't have a stinking clue why my Honda exists. But if you talk to the inventor or the creator of it, or you go to the owner's manual. And if you're having trouble finding your purpose in life, my guess is you've not talked to the creator of your life and you've not spent much time in the owner's manual. Too many times we try everything else. We go to Oprah. I thought that was really funny that Oprah was on that little video there. We go to Oprah and she says, uh, remember your spirit. And that's just so helpful. And, and that's how you're going to find meaning in life. And, and we go to all these other places. We try everything. Well, that, that makes as much sense as this strategy for dealing, the top ten strategies for dealing with a dead horse. Here we go. Buy a stronger whip. If your horse is dead, this is the first thing you should try. Buy a stronger whip. Change riders. Maybe I should change... That would work with my Honda. When it's dead, if I could change drivers. Any of y'all want to buy my dead Honda? That'd work. Um, Appoint a committee to study the horse. Number four, appoint a committee to revive the horse. Now, think about our government. When I'm reading these, just think about our government or, you know, the political process or, or businesses or churches you've been in and, and see if these don't apply as well. Number five, send out a memo declaring the horse isn't really dead. Number six, hire an expensive consultant to find the real problem. Number seven, harness several dead horses together for increased speed and efficiency. 
Can you just see me and Wes pulling several Honda Civics down the road for increased speed and efficiency? That would be fun. Number eight, rewrite the standard definition of live horse. Number nine, declare the horse to be better, faster, and cheaper when dead. Uh, There's a lot of things that are better when the horse is dead. You don't have as much residual stuff um, when the horse is dead. Number ten, promote the dead horse to a supervisory position. By the way, do any of you all have uh, political fatigue right now? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? Um, we're driving down the road, and I listen to 1450. Obviously, that's where I've heard some of this stuff. And I listen to a lot of talk radio. And uh, Rachel is in the back seat, and this was this was yesterday, day before. We're driving down the road, and and she, it's like so many days. Or no, it said um, uh, you have a choice in this election, and it's talking about Barack Obama. It's talking about John McCain, and Rachel goes, "Ah, when are they going to have the election?" And I'm like, baby, everyone in America is asking that question, but it's still like 87 days, 90 days or whatever. She goes, oh, I wish it would hurry up. And I'm like, all of us do. Now, this strategies for dealing with a dead horse, a lot of companies and, and our government, you know, how do we deal with, with the lack of, of oil in America? We, we appoint a committee. Anyway, um, but I think that if you apply, if you were honest, a lot of us use the dead horse strategy to uh, justify a pretty sorry life. A life that has no direction. It's meaningless. We don't know why we get up, but, but we're going to try self-help books and we're going to try um, whoever's on late night. Oh, my soul. I couldn't sleep from 4.30 to 5.30 last night. There's some of the... I guess that's why it's cheap to buy that stuff. There's some of the most worthless information on at 4.30 in the morning. Um, Anyway, that's just an aside. A lot of folks are just making up the rules as they go along. So let's try something new today. If your life has not been working, let's just admit that our lives have not been working, that maybe we don't understand, and maybe we need to talk to the Creator, the one who brought us into existence. Maybe we need to spend some time in the owner's manual to figure out what life is about. And I want to show you God's reason that you're here today, that you are taking up space on the planet, that you're breathing. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Long before He laid down the earth's foundation, talking about God, He had us in His mind and settled on us as the focus of His love to, made, to be made whole and holy by His love. And now, you, you have that on your listening guides. I'd like you to circle that phrase, um, the focus of His love. All right, let's, uh, let's do a little survey. How many of you like romantic movies? Ain't a guy. Okay, James, he's, he's not married yet, so he can admit. John, good. All right, we have some guys. Yay. Dwayne, yeah. I'm proud of you, fellas. Do, just <laughs> How many years have you been married? Twenty. Oh, my soul. Don't wait that long to at least watch some, okay? You don't have to really like them, but you can watch some. Um, it was it was suggested that we do all chick flicks for our summer blockbusters, and I just couldn't. I I uh, it was a great idea, but dude, I could not have done six weeks of chick flicks. Now I'm smart enough to know that, and I do like romantic movies. I do like them, but there are some that just carried on way too long, and it just makes me want to vomit. Can you say serendipity? Have you seen that movie, Serendipity? And, and my wife likes it, but dude, I had, I, I've never seen the whole movie because what happens in these romantic flicks is the two main characters are dating jerks. You ever notice this? And, and everybody in their world and in our world knows they should not be together. 
And they do that to get you hooked, to get you in the movie, because you know there's going to be a point in time. And it's incredibly frustrating to wait until that point of time where they realize that this person is not right for me and this person is not right for me. And then they turn and there's that point in the movie, there's always that look when they finally recognize it. And, and you just go, oh, the world is right. You know why that is? Because the object of their affection, the focus of their love has become the right one. And of course, women, you know, it makes your heart go, Peter Pat, and you want to snuggle up to your guy. And, and if he's smart, he realizes that's the whole point of watching a chick flick. So let's watch some more, baby. I mean, come on. Um, but, but it's because the focus of their love... <laughs> I've been married 17 years and, and my, my marriage is working. Um, so you can laugh at me if you want to, but I got it figured out. And uh, it's, it's good because the focus of their love finally becomes right. And I don't know if you remember when someone chose you. And, and I know I'm, I'm treading on some, some, uh, some thin ice here because some of you are, are, are going through really tough times. And I understand that. But, but just, just hang with me here until I finish this illustration. Maybe it'll make more sense. I, I still have every love letter that Janie ever wrote me. And there's some good ones. I remember the one when we first got back together the last time. Um, she wrote me this great letter, and it was this, you know, she, she was working at a, a medical clinic, and they'd done some tests, and they found the, the per perfect person for me. It was a sweet letter. I was like, dude, that's clever. And it's me. You know, I was like, sweet. She, yeah, all right, cool. And so I've kept all of these love letters, and I remember the first time, I remember exactly where we were when, when I said to her, I love you. Now... <laughs> she she knew that she was going to marry me like the first day I met her. I mean, she told her best friend. We were at camp, and she said, I'm going to marry that guy. And, and good thing I didn't know because I ran from all that stuff. You know, I was such a, such a man that I ran from commitment. Um, that means I'm a boy. Okay. So she knew all that, and it's a good thing that I didn't know it. But I remember... We were in her apartment, and I looked into those blue eyes, and, and my brother, when he was doing uh, premarital counseling, he said, he said, dude, I bet you just fell in those blue eyes and never came out. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I remember looking at her, and, and I actually was pretty confident that she was in love with me. And so I pulled one of those. If you've dated, you know what this is like. I'm looking her in the eyes, and I'm going, you know, we're just gazing at each other. We'd been a little kissy face and just gazing. And, uh, and I said, what are you thinking? And because she had those eyes looking at me like, you the man, you know, and I'm going, yes. And I had never told her that I loved her, and so I was going to see if she would say it. I was just testing her. I was just jacking with her. Because, see, I had said before to other women that I loved you not because I loved them, but, but because I thought that's what they wanted to hear. I told you I was a jerk, and I'm just being honest. Um, but, but I was smitten with, with this woman. And so I said, what are you thinking? And, and all of a sudden, that look was gone. And I was like, whoa. And she goes, nothing. And I said, come on. Tell me what you think. She goes, no. Anyway, a couple of days later, I, I, I told her I loved her. And so we were talking about it later. And I said, you wanted to say it, didn't you? And she goes, I was not about to tell you first. You had to tell me first. I wasn't going to tell you first. But then... Um, we were talking about this whole situation because, see, before we got back together, one of those intervals when we were broken up, 
this this dude that that was a loser um, asked her to marry him. And I was off in Austin, and she was in at Sam Houston State. She was down in Huntsville, and uh, this guy proposes to her, and he was a jerk. And and he proposes, and Janie, being the spiritual giant at the time, and she's she's a spiritual giant now, but at the time, being such a spiritual giant, she doesn't know what to do. And so she tells him, well, I'm not going to answer you right now. And so she goes home and cries all night long because she thinks this is the best offer she's going to get and maybe she should take this because this is the only offer. And so she does something incredibly... Um, she, she prays to God and she says, God, I'm going to put this guy to a test and I need your help testing him. I'm going to say this, and if he says this, then we're out of here. I know he's not the one for me. But if I say this and he says this, then I'm going to marry him. And I'm going, did you love him? She goes, no. And, of course, there's the logic. Why would you marry someone you don't love? I don't understand. So anyway, she puts him to the test, and praise God, he, he failed the test. And I'm like, and, and by the way, in two weeks, I'm going to start taking you through a process of how you can foolproof your decisions. And this does not come from me. I'm, I'm not that smart. But if you'll use God's Word, it will foolproof decision-making. Because not everything is in the Bible. The person you're supposed to marry is not in here. But if you'll use God's Word and apply it, I guarantee you will foolproof your decision-making. So keep coming back. Anyway, so... Um, she puts him to the test and, and he fails. And then, you know, a while later we get back together. And I remember we were in San Antonio and I proposed to her. And she starts crying. And I'm thinking, is this the same cry as the other guy? Uh, uh, I was actually pretty confident it wasn't. But, you know, those, those doubts do cross your mind. She goes to the bathroom and hugs some woman she doesn't know. Because, oh, my friend just proposed to me. Ah! You know, this little old lady. Uh, but... Why was she happy? Why, why did she have tears of joy? Because the one she chose had chosen her. Why was I pumped? Although you couldn't tell it, our, our picture right afterwards, she's got mascara everywhere, and I'm like, it's a horrible, horrible picture that came right after she said yes. Um, it's like, oh, God, what have I... I mean, that's what it looks like. That wasn't what I was thinking. But the object of my affection chose me, and, and the object of her affection chose her. And it seemed like everything was right with the world. Now, apply that to God. God created you as the focus of His love, as the object of His love. And when your life does not make sense and does not work right, is when the focus of your love is not right. You ask Janie, when I am a better man, is it when I am focused on God or when I am focused on me? Anytime there is trouble in my marriage, it's when I've taken the focus off of God and put it on myself. If I focus on God and my wife, we have the most beautiful relationship you've ever seen. Make sense? Because the one who created you put you at the center. When you focus on Him, when the object of your affection is right, then all of life makes sense. And here's the deal. God made you, made you. This, was, this is on your list, God. God created you. You were created to be loved by God. 
Now, God wanted someone to love. He didn't need someone. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need you. But God is love, so He created you to love you. He wanted you. And you will never comprehend life until you understand, I was put here to be loved by God, and and if I focus my affection on Him, all of life makes sense. It doesn't mean that life goes necessarily well, because God's going to take you through ups and downs. But when the object of your affection is right, then all of life begins to make sense. So that answers the question, why am I here? But there's a second question I hear from people a lot. Okay, so God created me to love me. So what? What does that matter? Well, let's, let's look at that. Most people live at one of three levels, and I'd like for you to try to identify which level you're at. The first level is the survival level. Many people just try to survive from day to day. They're just making it from day to day. Some people are just existing. They're not living. They're controlled by circumstances, and they are just going paycheck to paycheck, trying to make it to Friday so that they can tie one on so that they don't have to think about all the crap that's in their life, and then they do it again the next week. That's the survival level, and it's really not very much fun. Second level is the success level. And if we compared our standard of living with everyone else in the world, they would say we're rich. Nobody here would identify themselves as rich. But if you have a a house, you have a few toys, you have a job, you've got food, you have some decent relationships, and you've got your health, you are rich. You are richer than 99% of the people on the planet. They would call you rich. But being rich does not um, lead to significance, does not lead to satisfaction. That's because success and and satisfaction are not necessarily interrelated. Look at Hollywood. Look at professional athletes. There was a big article. I didn't even bother to read it because it said, Why are so many rich athletes broke? And I thought, I know the answer. They don't know how to handle stuff. They don't know how to handle life. So success in athletics or or in uh, financially or in the business world, success does not equal satisfaction. That's why you see people lonely and committing suicide and leaving their families and quitting jobs and, and doing all kinds of stuff because success does not equal satisfaction. You've got to go to a deeper level in order to get that. And that's the significance level. Well, how do you get to the significance level? There's, there's three simple steps that you have to go through. You know the meaning of life. The meaning of life gives you significance. You are not um, exalted pond scum that through millions and millions of years became this human being. You were created by God. The second thing is you know how much you matter to God. Jesus Christ died. He'd rather die for you than live without you. That gives your life significance when you know you matter. And the third thing is you know God's purposes for your lives. But the most miserable people I know know God's purposes and don't live out God's purposes. They're the most miserable people on the planet. You have to know God's purposes and live them out. That gives you significance. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah 44:2. God says, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. So God says He was thinking about you. You were in His mind as He was making you up. As He was even thinking you up, you were in His mind. Psalm 139, 16. You, and this is talking about God, scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. That's how much you matter to God. He's been thinking about you and keeping tabs on you even before you took your first breath. Does your life matter? Sure. Do you matter? Yes. No one pays attention to someone who does not matter to them, and God always pays attention to you. Well, not only does He pay attention to you, He has long-range plans for your life. And, and I know some of you are thinking, well, if God loves me so much, why do I have pain and suffering in my life? 
Well, there's two basic reasons. We're going to go over these in a couple of weeks. But basic reasons is your choices. A lot of our pain is self-induced. And, and I'm going to show you how to reduce that if you'll, if you'll use God's plan. But there, there are also choices that other people make. And so what we've got to do is we've got to discern. Is my pain in my life, is it caused by my choices? Is it caused by the choices of others? If it's caused by my choices, that means I'm not doing life God's way. I need to confess that and, and get right with God. If, it's, if my pain is caused by someone else's choices, you know what the Bible prescribes for that? Forgiveness. And if I learn to forgive, I'm not controlled by my past any longer. And I can, I can live in, and, and do what God plans for me in the future. Well, God has these plans for you. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. Psalm 33, 11, though, he says, His plans endure forever. His, God's plans endure forever. His purposes last eternally. God's plans for you do not end at death. And this is something that, that we get messed up a lot of times. And uh, if you think of it this way, the average lifespan is 70 years. And that is such a minor uh, amount of time compared to eternity. All right, let's imaginarily, let's stretch a line from right here, from, from this monitor all the way to the moon. See how far that is? Now you take the, the finest grain of sand. We can walk right out here. We've got a bunch of sand right outside this door. You find the finest grain of sand, put it on that line that stretched from here all the way to the moon. Now, I don't care where you put it. You just put it somewhere. How significant is that, is that dot of sand compared to the line? Very insignificant. That's the amount of time you get in this life compared to the amount of time you're going to spend on the other side of life. And God has some teaching about that. This is a huge key. Realizing that this life is not all there is. In fact, this life is preparation for the next. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.1. When this tent we live in, our body here on earth is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in, a home He Himself has made, which will last forever. If you've been to any of the funerals that I've done, I'm always going to read this verse. Because I'm going to talk to people who are still alive and, and let them know that it's not too late for you to realize that God has a purpose for you. And the purpose is not this life. The, this life is called a, a tent. Anybody want to live in a tent, especially in Texas right now? You want to go exist in a tent for the next week? Hello? No. And your soul, the Bible describes your soul lives in this tent called the physical body. But it's temporary. And then it says that if you'll do what you need to do, which is accept Christ, what Christ has done on the cross, then you will have a permanent home in heaven made by God Himself. That's a no-brainer. But once again, we've got the focus of our love messed up. You move to your permanent dwelling place. You matter so much to God that He wants to keep you with Him forever. But the choice is yours. But when you realize that, it gives meaning to life. Look at Proverbs 9, 6. Leave your impoverished confusion and live and walk up the street to life with meaning. Doing life God's way, focusing on God as the object of your affection, gives life meaning. And if you go all the way back to the very first uh, verse in the Bible, somebody tell me what the first four words in the Bible are. In the beginning, God. Now... If you don't believe those words, then you're not going to believe the rest. Of, yeah, you're counting. I see you. In the beginning, God. Okay. Now, here's the deal. It all begins with God. It continues with God. And it ends with God. It's not about you. If you get this little book today, it's going to say, the first, first little part is going to say, it's not about you. It's all about God. And that's we, we get messed up when we think it's about us. If those words were not true, if... if, if 
we didn't have those words, in the beginning God, in the first part of the Bible, then we wouldn't be talking about the meaning of life today. It wouldn't matter. But it all begins, continues, and ends with God. Proverbs 9.10, knowing God's results, knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. If you want to know why you're here, if you want to have meaning in your life, then it starts, it's on your listening guide, by getting to know God. You find your purpose by getting to know God. Look at Colossians 1.16. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him and finds its uh, purpose in Him. Ephesians 1.11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. If you want to know your purpose, if you want to know why you're here, start by getting to know God. The more you know about God, the more life makes sense. Because the Bible says that you gain understanding by getting to know God. Everything else comes when you get to know God. Now, psychologists have told us that people change. Now, anybody like change? Anybody just like change? I love it. I want to change all the time. No one? No one? Psychologists tell us that people change for one of three reasons. They hurt enough that they have to. All right? We talk about this in Celebrate Recovery. Some people come to recovery when they're at the stinking bottom of their barrel and they know life has got to change. So you change when you hurt enough you have to, when you learn enough that you want to. We try to get people in Celebrate Recovery before they're at the bottom. Because that's just smart. <laughs> you, you learn from your mistakes, but smart people learn from other people's mistakes. Spread them around. You don't have enough time to make all the mistakes yourself. Or people change when they receive enough that they're able to. And our church exists for people in all three categories. The reason we're even doing this question series is we want you to recognize where you are and that God loves you enough to move you to, to the significance level, to, to a different um, direction and meaning. Eight years ago, and if you do the math, you'll realize that that's two years before we started New Life. Eight years ago, I was reading a book called Failing Forward by John Maxwell. I've read a lot of his books on leadership, different things. And at the end of one of the chapters, it said um, to dream about your life. It, it, it said, write down the dream for your life. And then it says, write down any obstacles that you think you might face and that you would be willing to go through to achieve your dream. And it says, try to think of everything that could happen. Here's what I wrote. My dream is to build an Acts 2 church. And some of you don't know what that is. You can read Acts 2. And basically, it's a biblically functioning community. I'd lived all of my life, and I hadn't been in something that I considered a biblically functioning community. I've been in churches. There were some good things about the church. Then there's some bad things. And I never did figure that we were doing church the way, way God wanted us to do church. And so my dream was to be in an Acts 2 biblically functioning community. And then I wrote... I will be misunderstood, mocked, slandered, ridiculed. People will leave the church and we may even face severe financial difficulties. And here we are eight years later, two months in our own building, and every one of those things has come true. We've been misunderstood, we've been mocked, we've been slandered and ridiculed. We've had financial difficulties and people have left the church. But here we are. When you are called by God to do something, 
And, and when, when you go to these church planters, that's what we were considered church planters um, when we started the church. When you go to these conferences, the first thing they try to do is talk you out of starting a church. They say it's the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your life. And if you are not called by God, you will quit. And so they, they tell you, 10% of you that are here are called by God. The rest of you, you're pretending. You need to just walk out the door and pretend that, that, that you never came. Um, when you're called by God and all you have is the call by God, you keep doing something even if nobody shows up, even if people leave, even if you have financial difficulties. But I'll tell you this. I don't know how many times Janie and I are laying in bed at night and we take turns praying out loud. And This week we've said, Oh God, thank you for new life. We can't imagine doing life any other way. I can't imagine not being on this adventure with you. All, all the heartache, and, and we, we've had situations where I thought, I really did, I thought my heart was going to explode. When I've cried myself to sleep, and, and I'm not an emotional person, where my wife is holding me because I'm, I'm crying uncontrollably. I wouldn't trade it for anything to be doing what God has called me to do. And we've said it, and I'm going to say it again. We are called to this church, and we're not leaving until I'm dead. And I really, I just believe that God has called you to be here with us and to be a part of this. Because there is no significance in life like knowing what God has called you to do and plugging into something that lasts beyond the grave. It's part of my motivation in life. Now, I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual journey right now. I know here we have people that aren't even sure about this God stuff. You're not even sure you want to give your life to this God because you don't know and you're investigating. Keep on coming back. This church is for you. We have people that are committed Christians, that are growing, that are serving. Keep on coming back. This church is for you. And we have people everywhere in between. And we say, keep on coming back because I want you to hear this message from God. This is straight for you today. Acts 10.35 it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. That means it doesn't matter what's in your past. No matter how bad you think it is, no matter how far from God, how many Ten Commandments you've broken or commands of Scripture you've broken, no matter where you're from, look what it says. If you want God and are ready to do as He says, the door is open. Doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, the door is open. It's never too late to discover why you're here. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I don't know if you've realized it, but I think it's obvious that God had a reason for you to be here today. God wants you to know Him, and He wants you to know the meaning of life. You have a purpose. So we're just going to take a moment and we're going to talk to God. And I realize some of you have never talked to God and, and some of you don't know what to say. You, you may just want to listen as I pray this prayer and then when we're done, you just may want to go, yeah, me too, God, what He said. Dear God, I realize that if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be alive. But because you made me, you must have a purpose for me. I admit that I've been focusing on my plans for my life, not yours. But I want to know why I'm here, and I want to know why you made me. So I commit today to learning about it.
thank you that you made me to love me. Thank you that you cared for me when I didn't know you or care about you. I thank you that I was made to last forever. I want a life filled with meaning, and I want to start by getting to know you better. So as best I understand you, I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life today and help me understand why I'm here. I want to take the first step today. In your name I pray. Amen.